0: I knew to do things differently. Sometimes, though, what we know to do and what we actually do are two different things. And maybe that becomes between our intellect and our emotions. I let my emotions lead me instead of leading my emotions. Uh, the Bible says where the man's treasure is, there his heart will be also. I often read that verse backwards. I thought we would put our treasure in the things that we love. But Jesus is telling us, hey, do the right things. The emotions will follow. Motion will bring about emotion. It's kind of like a, a, a skier being pulled behind a boat. Sometimes, you know, you can swing way out, but the farther you go, eventually that skier is going to come back in line. That's sometimes our emotions. We swing wildly from side to side, but that's why we've got to have that true north, have the Lord leading us and guiding us to the direction we need to go until our our emotions swing back in and come back in where they're supposed to be. If I tried to lead the boat with a skier, that wouldn't work. (laughs) That just doesn't work. Leading with our emotions really does not work. They've got to come in alignment with the way we're going.
1: When life as you know it is flipped upside down, we struggle to make sense of it all. Why would a good God allow this to happen? Hi, I'm Sherry Pilkington, your host of Finding God in Our Pain. In early 2018, the deepest questions of my life erupted when I unexpectedly lost my husband of 32 years. Since then, I've searched the heart of God for what he has to say about pain and suffering. In this podcast, we'll discover how God enters into our pain, shepherds us through our darkest valley, and out into the green pastures once again. I'll bring you firsthand stories from women who will allow us into their authentic struggle, along with professional advice from experts, counselors, and others who can speak to what it looks like to navigate pain. Join me as we discover God's answers to the deepest cries of our shattered heart. Author and pastor Kevin Harroth and I talk about a hardened heart, not a physical condition, but a spiritual one. He's written several books, but the one that we focus on is the Pharaoh factor living with a hardened heart. If you know the story, Pharaoh hardens his heart toward God. But what does that mean for us today? How does one acquire a hardened heart? How do we know if we have a hardened heart? Kevin and I both dug around in our own personal stories of what it looked like in each of our specific situations of having a hardened heart. How did we get there? And what does it look like to recover from a hardened heart? And just as important, we covered the question, How do we keep our hearts soft and teachable so we don't return to an isolated, fearful, self-sustaining condition? One that I personally know is exhausting and it's frustrating and it's definitely lonely. I marvel at the contradictions of life in comparison to the things that have spiritual value, specifically God's spiritual value. And here are a few examples of what I'm talking about. When things are the most painful, the beauty of what God has for us on the other side of that pain, the healing is something that we couldn't think to ask for because he wastes nothing about our pain. He redeems everything. When we submit ourselves or our situations to God, lay things down at his feet in God's value system, we get better than we had, better than we deserve. It's not simply restored to what it used to be. We're given what God himself has for us. And of course, the ultimate example of submission is when Christ said, it is finished. Sounds like the final conclusion, end of story, it's over. And yet it was just the beginning for us. New life, direct access to God, salvation, eternal life, heaven on earth, and so much more. Another example, when we leave our old self behind, accepting Christ's work on the cross, we gain direct access to our creator. So we get to discover who God created us to be at our origin. When he knit us together in our mother's womb, we get to put on, wear, walk in God's original creation for us. We fulfill our purpose, our calling with joy, no matter our circumstances, free to live above the limitations, pain, and brokenness, brokenness of this world. My final example, when fear is most terrifying, whatever area that may may be or whatever form that it takes on behind that fear is a revelation, a truth about God who he wants to be for you in that situation. And therefore there's a freedom for us to experience. The God of the Holy Bible is not the God of fear, fear, chaos, confusion. That's the presence of the enemy. For example, Your fear could actually be blocking knowledge of your gifting or maybe clarity about your purpose. Satan doesn't want you to make a breakthrough because he can't afford for you to know who you are, for you to bring forth the message that God has appointed to you at this time in your generation. So my point being, don't let this brief conversation between Kevin and I about familiar scriptures, disciplines, and God's truths pass you by. Draw in a little closer and ask Holy Spirit to speak to your your heart and reveal any areas that may be hardened. Ezekiel 36, 26 is a promise from God to you and I, and it says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Why would he make this promise to us? Because the heart of stone is only as far away as the next painful situation trigger about past trauma or when you hear words that strike deep in your heart, when you get what you feel is an external confirmation of your internal voice that berates you. When we don't take the painful places of this life captive to Christ, hold them up to God's truth, question him about that, and let him give us clarity about his value system, we will harden our hearts to the things we have no control over, no context for, and no understanding of our identity. Despite the pain of this life, which we all know revolves around family, friends, and relationships in general, it all comes back to relationship. It's the core of our existence. We were created for relationship. And for that reason, it's worth being alive to and not dead to it, even though alive. With Christ, he rewrites all the evil this world dishes out, giving a soft, tender heart, a safe place to thrive in the very midst of pain and suffering. That's his specialty. Welcome, Kevin. Thank you so much for being here today. Well, thank you very much. It's an honor to be here. Our conversation is centered around a condition that I know is possible when we're under extreme pressure or find ourselves in circumstances where we have no control. And I'm not saying it's limited to those examples, but I'm most familiar with those types of experiences. And the condition we'll be talking about is a hardened heart, not a physical condition of the heart, but a spiritual condition. And I have personally found it to be very costly and hard to recover from. And the reason I say it is because it took me so long to realize what the real problem was. Mm -hmm. I thought it was other people making my life difficult. So the reason I know a hardened heart can manifest in the examples I gave, uh, pressure and you have no control type thing. And my listeners know this about me is because my childhood home was abusive, everything except substance or sexual abuse. Mm. In the chaos that was my family of origin, I would make swears. I swear my mom will not make me cry ever again, or I swear she will not get to me, mm. stuff like that. But little did I know that I was making oaths. With the one who comes only to steal, kill and destroy my enemy Mm -hmm. because of those survival skills, they would not benefit me outside of the environment in which I had skillfully crafted them in. So, I mean, I got I won. I got what I was after. I got the prize, the trophy, if you will, because at some point my mom could not get to me. She could slap me in the face, knock me down, punch me, pick me up, and I would not cry. She could not get to me. But what I didn't know was that the prize was more than I imagined. And that was a hardened heart. Hmm. Kevin, in your devotional, the Pharaoh factor, living with a hardened heart, you look at the different ways that, that Pharaoh's heart hardened in Exodus. Hmm. And you share that you studied Pharaoh's life and character because you were trying to understand what was happening to you spiritually. What circumstance in your life led you to where your love and your anger were equally strong for God?
0: Yeah, that's a a great question. And there was a very definitive point in my life where that occurred. I've, I've been raised in the church, born and raised all my life. My my father founded our church in 1961, and I lived for the Lord all my life. I remember a particular decision point where I made that decision to serve God. And then there was one summer at a youth camp that where we went and I didn't hear an audible voice, but I Knew I felt the call of God. I knew God was going to do great things in me and through me, and and I was excited. Man, I was going to take the world by the tail, and man, it was going to be great. And you know how that is. at maybe a, at camps and you get you, revivals. You, everyone's pumped up. There's a lot of emotion there, and that's not bad. Emotion's a good thing. It's a God thing. <clears throat> but I was riding high on the emotion. So right, you're, you're you're exactly right. The pendulum was swinging high. Man, it was good. And I thought, man, life is great it's only going to get better. Well, the next year was the summer of 1985. I was 15 years old and I was diagnosed with a chronic condition that's called psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. Back then we thought it was a skin condition. And it's really an autoimmune condition that manifests itself through inflammation of the skin and the joints as something I, I, I like to use a phrase. If you're going to be a bear, be a grizzly. And um, so if I'm going to get a disease, I'm going to get a disease. <laughs> it's going to be big. And I could joke about it now, but uh, it was not funny then uh, because I was covered uh, 70 80 sometimes 90 percent of my body with unsightly plaques that would mm. crack and bleed and and uncomfortable and ugly
1: and you were and 15 years I'm old
0: 15 years old and it's summertime i didn't want to wear shorts short sleeves i thought all the my friends around me some of them were living for god but many not and man, they were living life and having fun, not serving God, and things were going great for them. They had all these things happen. And then I stopped and I looked at myself and said, wait a minute, all right? This isn't fair. I don't deserve this. And I felt the anger in my life start to that. That love for God was up here. It was still there, I suppose. But the anger was like the other side of that pendulum. It swung the other way. And my anger at God for allowing, maybe even causing this to happen to me, caused me to start to shut down. And just as you explained, I did that in a way to try to protect myself. I was mad at God. I was mad at the world. I was mad at the church. I, I was just mad. And I thought the only way I can protect myself is to withdraw. And I went through the motions of serving God or went through the motions of that everything's okay, acting like it's all right. But deep down inside, it wasn't. And I built this wall around my heart that I thought was going to protect me. But instead of protecting, it became a prison. It took a point in my life where uh, several years later, almost 10 years later, that I got really sick. We don't know exactly what happened. I don't know if it was a reaction to some medicine I was on, but I was in the hospital. I became what they call erythodermic. My skin turned red from the top of my head, which I had some hair back then, believe it or not. And that made me mad at God for other reasons. I won't get into that losing hair. But from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet, my skin started to turn red and peel off. Mm. and my heart was racing. I couldn't keep anything down. I was not able to eat almost for, for a month. And I didn't know if I was going to live or die. And that was during that point where I started to do a little bit of examination, because by that point I'd had a daughter, she was five years old and she'd visit me in the hospital. And when she left, um, I found myself asking some questions. If I die, what will my daughter think of me? What will she remember? was dad a a man of God? What kind of man was he? And that caused me to really start to evaluate things again. And I had some pretty intense conversations with God, which is okay. However, in some cases, I went a little too far. Um, I was disrespectful to God at times. I never recommend that. And I even demanded of God that he give me what I deserve, which is not smart at all. What I deserve is eternal separation. I deserve death. So never ask God to give you what you deserve because uh, you just might get that. But thankfully we don't. He gives us his grace and his mercy. And it started to, to make sense because I realized my relationship with God affects me and God, but it also affects people around me, my family, my friends, my church, my community. People look at Christians when things are going well, you know, it's easy for us to to praise God and say how all things are good. But I think people really watch when things aren't going so well. Now, how do you respond? Mm -hmm. Now, what's it like that started to awaken me? And, And so that anger that was there began to subside and swung back around to Really, I love walk with the Lord. I told God, look, if I survive, and I did, and I'm here today, if I survive, I'm going to find a way to to use this to serve you. I don't know what it is. I don't know how it's going to look. And it didn't happen overnight. It was step-by-step. Step. I started by doing a support group with others with a similar condition as me. And we we did that. Um, and, and as time went along, I, I got into ministry, became ordained eventually, wrote a couple of books. And, and so just found ways for uh, to allow God to use my circumstance to help others. But as you so eloquently pointed out, this is not about the physical condition. So whether it's physical, financial, relational, emotional, whatever thing is coming against us, the problem is a spiritual one. It's not a problem of the physical heart. It's the spirit of man, the, the heart, the heart and the mind. And when we begin to harden those um, our heart and mind to, to God, uh, we begin to not listen to his word. We stop heeding his word. And that just opens up a whole bunch of problems. It did for Pharaoh and it did for me.
1: And it did for me as well. You make that point of Mm self-protection, and then that's how we end up in trouble, I think. We're in a, a, a tough situation. We don't know what to do. We don't have power or control, influence, or maybe we don't even have a point of reference to understand what's going on with us. And so we kick into survival skills. I wouldn't have called them survival skills at the time, but that's exactly what they are. We start providing for ourselves, doing what we think we need to do in order to keep from feeling the pain or having to face painful things. But we should be running to God with that kind of thing. But I got to be honest, it wasn't what I thought at the time. And I had, I had professed Christ at 12 years old. I had accepted what he did on the cross, Mm -hmm. made it personal for me, but you know, it's a maturing process. It's that step-by-step that you're talking about. So that self-protection gets you in trouble. As yeah. Christian,
0: as you said that I was thinking about uh, the movie Castaway. I don't know if you've ever, ever seen that. I do know what I it remember is. at the end of the movie, Tom Hanks was talking about his life on the Island. He was telling his friend, he tried to do everything he could to get off that Island. And he found out he was in control of nothing. Mm-hmm. He even tried to kill himself and that didn't work. He, he said he had control of nothing, but what he found out that he needed to do was he just needed to keep on breathing, mm-hmm. breathe, And in my life, I've discovered that too. There's a lot of things I can't control, but I just got to keep on breathing. In fact, our breath, sometimes we don't know what to pray, but I believe our breath can be a prayer to God. That was the first intimate interaction between God and mankind. Mm -hmm. God breathed into it. And so sometimes it's just coming back to that point of breathe and that personal Intimate relationship with God can be even be in that breath. I know the Bible talks about groanings that cannot be uttered. So I believe that could be sighs. Yeah, I, I didn't know what to pray. Mm. <sighs> but even there, okay, I'm alive. Who knows what the day is going to bring? Who knows what the tide is going to bring uh, the next day? So I just got to keep on breathing, keep on breathing. And God will make that way of escape. And he did for me. And I still have the disease, but I can't focus on the, the temporal. There's something greater, the eternal. And so I've got a. there's a scripture that Paul said, I think he used the word comfort in one verse more than anybody's ever done in one sentence. He says, we are comforted by the comfort that we get from God so that we can comfort others. <laughs> and so maybe we go through the things that we go through so God can work in us and through us and comfort us. And then we take that situation and say, you know what? I can help somebody else who's going through that, that same comfort I received. I can help provide that to somebody else. But we got to breathe
1: the breath. I read something the other day on social media. The woman's name was Sandra. And she talked about that the name for God, Yahweh. Uh-huh. She did the initials without the uh, vowels, of course. That. And she talked about it. It was such an intimate name that it was our breath. It was the inhale mm-hmm. and the exhale that made mm-hmm. Yahweh. Yeah,
0: I've and heard that, the same thing.
1: Isn't that beautiful? I mean, yeah, that was the first awesome. time I've read that. And that was like, Wow. That's yeah. so intimate and so connected with our he maker breathed
0: that into us. Yeah. Wow.
1: And then yeah. our first breath is his name.
0: There you go. <laughs> That's
1: beautiful stuff to me.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: I will agree with you that control is an absolute illusion. There is mm-hmm. no control, but it's also a good thing in the, with the perspective that God is in control so it's not just someone or something that's in control it's the god the creator mm, yes. who is intimately mm. and physically invested in yeah. everything that yeah. we've created
0: no that doesn't mean we don't do what we can do and know to do right we, we still have to but to try to control it all i mean yeah that's actually relief i yeah i don't have I to control it all
1: <laughs> i agree that's a huge revelation for people too, mm. is that you don't have to have all the answers. You don't mm. have to control everything that God will work it out with mm. or without your participation. The book of Job,
0: the Job never finds out the why of what happened to him. We, as the reader do, we see the cosmic battle between God and Satan. And we get to to, to witness that and say, oh, okay, I get it now. Job as the protagonist of the story doesn't get to see that. And yet he gets to say, even though you slay me, I'm going to serve you. I'm going to trust you. I know my Redeemer lives. I know I'm going to stand in in, in my flesh on that day. Wow. That's awesome. He didn't know, but he trusted God anyway. Just blows my mind.
1: Me, me as well. The self-reflection I think is really key too, because Job is pouring out his heart to God. He's being honest and transparent mm-hmm. and just pouring out his pain. And I, you even see it move from a physical suffering into a, an emotional and spiritual mm-hmm. suffering. And it mm-hmm. goes in where people cannot reach that kind of pain. They want to help, but they cannot look at his friends that tried mm-hmm. to gather around and they were just pretty much kicking him while he was down. But this self-reflection and this conversation with God, I have found that he does not shame me or Mm -hmm. reject me when I'm being honest and transparent. Now he will not engage me in an argument and he knows me when I'm looking for an argument and he will not engage me, but I love that you, I can be authentic with him about my pain and struggle.
0: He knows anyway, (laughs) how you're feeling. So that's why i think it's important for us to express it it's not for god's sake it's for ours so we can come to grips with world. i love it when when job did kind of challenge god and god said hey gird yourself up like a man come on you don't you go toe to toe with me here we go let's go <laughs> and it's like job said whoop i, I gotta be silent
1: <laughs> i was gonna say god lays out all, yeah. <laughs> all this stuff like job where were you
0: when... right yeah <laughs> oh yeah <laughs>
1: One of the points you made a minute ago that your pain and then the way that we decide to deal with it affects not just our intimate relationship with God, but family and friends and like your church family. You as a pastor are held in a position where you're under scrutiny all the time if you say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing. So it's a constant modeling of God's heart. Can you talk a little bit more about that? How do we represent God well in this human form.
0: Yeah. All of us have to represent God, of course. And, but as a pastor's kid, I felt like I was in a fishbowl and that's good and bad. I mean, it was honor. I wouldn't change my life for anything, all, even all the bad stuff I've went through has made me who I am today. So with a little bit of maturity and a little track record, I can look back and see, okay, this is what made me who I am today. And and I can be thankful for it, but it's hard in the moment. This is something I've learned recently. We often talk so much and and I understand this. It it makes sense. I want to be like Jesus. I want to be like Jesus. And that's a great goal, but I've discovered I can't be like Jesus. What I need is actually to die to self, get myself out of the way and allow Jesus to be Jesus in me. And when I get myself out of the way, um, that allows that frees the Lord to work in me and through me. I've got to die to self. That's why Paul, I think said, I got to die daily. Uh, and he had problems. He had the, the thorn in the flesh and he prayed to God about it. And God said, no. My grace is sufficient for you. So he had to work through those things. And I think that's what, again, what people are watching. How do Christians, we talk big. We talk about prosperity and God's blessings. And, you know, we really thump our chest and how blessed, I'm too blessed to be stressed. You know, Right. all these, this bumper sticker theology and th- we don't fool anybody maybe we're trying to fool ourselves but the world's watching because when the chips are down your mm-hmm. true character your true nature is going to come out it's kind of like autopilot on a boat you can have an autopilot on a boat and still steer and kind of you know let the boat go where it wants to go but as soon as you lose control of that steering wheel autopilot's going to take over and it's going to steer you so mm-hmm. where's your autopilot set When you lose control, that's going to show where where it's at. Am I trying to control things or am I allowing the Holy Spirit to control my life, even when I lose control? And so that's what people are watching. I think being blessed is more than prosperity. It's more than health and wealth. Being blessed, when I look at the word root word, what it really means, it's to be set apart, for special service. If an item in the, in the church or in the tabernacle was blessed, it was consecrated, it was set apart, only to be used for certain things. So when we ask for the blessings of God, God blessed me with wealth. Okay, if you get wealth, then you know what, you'd better be using that to serve God. And so, this prosperity gospel that I hear, and I don't want to disparage anybody, but this it is all well and good. But okay, if God blesses you that way, then you better be using that to serve God. If we ask God to bless us with health, okay, we're healthy, we got to serve God. We ask God's blessings in other areas of our life. Great. That means we're consecrated, set apart to be used by God. That's what I think people are watching. That's what they're looking at in, in our lives. Somebody is looking at us, no matter where we are in our life. Somebody's watching, whether it's our kids our coworkers, our friends, it doesn't matter. Somebody's watching. And we're going to set that example to somebody.
1: When I hear the prosperity gospel, I don't automatically think of money. I think of his presence. I think of his beauty. When I hear that, that's what I'm praising it. Like, yes, Lord, but I'm thinking something different or like God wants Mm. to take you to the next level. And I'm thinking of revelation, you know, of understanding him more Mm -hmm. clarity, that kind of thing. I don't know whether it depends on your maturity level in Christ or maybe your heart condition, because if we're seeking God's hand over his face or his heart, you know, that'll, that'll tell on us. So just a (laughs) distinction there on really what God wants to do for us is about the kingdom, about his heart, about his people and his love for his children. Yeah. Earlier, you talked about getting into this mode of Mm self-protection. Is that how you would define hardening your heart?
0: That's part of it. I think hardening our heart is technically not listening to God's word not heeding God's word. Pharaoh, as the prime example that that I use to study, to examine my own life, was a man of faith. Not faith in Yahweh, but he had faith because Egypt had all kinds of gods. And Pharaoh thought he himself was a god. But when Moses came and said, hey, Yahweh says, let my people go, Pharaoh said, who's Yahweh that I should listen to him? Who is he that I should heed his, his voice? And so it's not that He couldn't believe in God. In fact, he saw all these miracles. He had to believe that God existed or some supernatural being. He just wouldn't listen to his word. And what I discovered was the very children of Israel who watched this epic struggle between God and Pharaoh. It wasn't really Moses and Pharaoh. This was a battle between God and Pharaoh. The very children of Israel who saw that happen. The same thing happened to them in the desert. They had God's word. It was given to Moses brought the law down. And when he brought it down, they were already built a, a, a golden calf. The wandering through the head could be there 40 years because they didn't heed God's word. The Bible tells us they hardened their hearts. So it's all a matter of not listening, not heeding God's word. It's a spiritual condition. Now, I, I did that to try to protect myself again, because I thought, who is he that I should listen to him? He's done this terrible thing to me. So I'm shutting it off because it's hurting me. So I'm going to protect myself, but it wasn't protection. It was a prison and it was, it was a a dangerous place to be like Pharaoh. I found myself spiraling downward until the bottom nearly dropped out for Pharaoh. It did drop out. He never recovered. Thankfully I did, but it took me being knocked down to be made to look up. And I'm glad I did.
1: I feel the same way. I recovered once I realized what was going on. And even then though, Satan attaches himself to traumas when Satan wants to bring something up that we've struggled with in the past or we've struggled with God over. And so now he wants to challenge us in a particular circumstance. Oh, are you still this person over that person? Do you really believe what God said? Did God really say fill in the blank?
0: What triggered me again was I wouldn't say I was totally over the condition I had. I found medicine that worked, that helped me control it. But then when my daughter turned 12 years old, she was diagnosed with the exact same disease. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, oh, and I felt the calluses on my heart start to form again. Because you know, it's one thing, God, to mess with me. Now you're messing with my kids this is trouble. (laughs) And I had to work through that. And then 12 years later, my son diagnosed Mm -hmm. with the exact same thing. And I remember sitting with him in the doctor's office. I saw it. I knew what it was because of my experience, but we got to get an official diagnosis so we can get you treatment. And I was sitting there in the office with him and I looked at him in the eye and I said, son, I am so sorry that this is happening to you. It broke my heart. I I about lost it there in the office. And my son simply looked at me and said, dad, if you can handle it, Mm. I can handle it. And that hardening that I was feeling all of a sudden melted away because I realized again, okay, this isn't just about me and my relationship with God it impacts people around me. My son watched how I handled these. He wasn't born yet when I was in the hospital that first time. So he didn't see all that initial struggle he saw afterwards and why I had lived my life and dealt with that condition. He saw no big deal. You can handle it, dad. I can handle it. And wow. My relationship with God impacted my relationship and my son's relationship with God. It taught me a whole other lesson, whole other level.
1: Proves the point that people are watching and it gave him confidence when he saw that you had already, you were walking the walk and handling it well. When I think about watching your children struggle, I have two grown sons married, have grandchildren. I think about what you were just saying that when it came upon your daughter, you were like, wait a minute, Lord, you're messing with my kids. Mm-hmm. So what were some of the things that Satan was whispering in your ear as far as trying to to separate you from the goodness of God, thinking that God was withholding something from you?
0: Actually, I, it was a guilt that I had done
1: this. So he you turned yourself on yourself.
0: Yeah. And we see this through scripture too. Remember the disciples said to, to Jesus, when he healed the, the I think it was the blind man. he said, who sinned? that caused this to happen, of Job's friends, basically said, Job, you must have really sinned bad (laughs) to cause this to happen. And so condemnation starts to be put on. Sometimes it comes from outside sources. Mm. I had people tell me, well, you must not have enough faith because you're not healed. All that did was bring more condemnation. That thought started, boy, Kevin, you really must be bad because not only is this affecting you, it's affecting your kids. And I'm not a big fan of the generational curse stuff, but that did come into my mind because I I, I believe God forgives us individually. And, and yeah, my sin can have impact upon my kids, but I don't believe it's a curse that they can't get out from underneath. Jesus on the cross broke the curse. So all we need to do is accept him. But I felt that condemnation coming on. And I had to wrestle with that. Satan is the accuser of the brethren, That right? That's part of his role. He accuses, and that's what was coming at me. And so I had to get back in the word, just like Jesus did when Satan came against him. It is written, I got to go back to the word. I've got to heed the word of God to overcome this. And that's how I that's how I did it. It wasn't easy, but that's yeah. how I did it
1: yeah the struggle is not easy but it it is a good point to make that when we take our eyes off of ourselves or our situation and put them back on the one who has solutions and strategies mm-hmm. and revelations for our circumstance the one who wants to reveal himself to us in this circumstance it really shifts everything yeah. to put it back on him and take yeah. it off of us
0: well and then jesus told his disciples what this didn't happen because somebody sinned this happened so that I, so God would get glory. We don't always know the why, and that's okay. All we got to do is find the way to give God glory.
1: One of the advantages of being a believer is that God rewrites the heartache of this life. He pierces lies, Mm -hmm. belief systems that are not solid. He enters into our pain and our suffering. He sits with us. He guides us out. He gives us a different experience, a different ending. That's powerful to me.
0: Right. Well, what did Paul say about our momentary light affliction? It works a far greater eternal weight of glory. And so I'm not making light of our problems. They're real. I, I, they are. Yeah, but when we step back and look at the perspective a little differently, instead of focusing on a problem, a problem by definition is in your face, right? So if something in your face, it looks big. But if we step back and look at God, the problem's still there, but the perspective is different. Wow, God is so much bigger than my problem. I'm going to focus on Him because there's something far greater in store, the eternity. But I also believe today as we put our faith and trust in Him. So maybe it's a matter of perspective.
1: When you were in the struggle with the hardened heart, what did it cost you? Wow.
0: Time. I wasted years, it cost me relationships there are some people that maybe i was friends with at the time or close to that i'm no longer it cost me my self-esteem for a period of time and it took a piece of my heart my soul that i thought i would never get back but as I look at the book of Job and see how God restored him. And I think about the prophecy that said, you know, the years that the locusts and the canker worm had destroyed, God said, I'll restore. Now, I'm not sure that that means my my life I was going to be doubled. What, you know, what the years I wasted? I get all those years back, but I think the fruit, the harvest of those years and when I look at it, then, okay, God can take what Satan meant to harm me, to take from me. God's now using that to increase the harvest in these latter years, even more so than it would have been had I not gone through all this. And again, that's what God does. That's how he does it. It it blows the mind, but he does it. And and so I, I lost years, I lost time, I lost relationships, but That was just for that moment in time. Now God is working and it just boggles the mind how much more uh, we we see God blessing. But again, those blessings mean there's also a responsibility that goes along with those blessings. I got to use those blessings to spread the gospel. And that's what I'm trying to do.
1: It's important that people understand the beauty of who Christ is in a a world, in a life that is, it's very rough and tumble. It's not very kind. Dog eat dog. Dog eat dog. I love the story of the underdog overcoming and that's Christ constantly bringing that underdog into that overcomer position. I was
0: recently studying the story of King David and Jonathan and Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth was Jonathan's son. And when David took the throne, they hid Mephibosheth because they thought David was going to kill him. But Mephibosheth was really a part of the blood covenant between David and Jonathan because he was Jonathan's son. And David said, is there anybody that I can show kindness to and the people, the friends around Mephibosheth kept him sheltered from David and thinking that David was going to harm him. That wasn't the case at all. Friends. We need to tell people about this covenant relationship, not keep them from it because Mephibosheth, once David found him, he didn't kill him. He allowed him to eat at the king's table. He gave him the land that was Saul's. He restored to him. And and so we've got to share this gospel. we got to let people know, hey, there's a blood covenant. You don't have to do anything. This was done for you, but all you have to do is accept it. And we're not telling. How can people know unless they are told? We've got to tell them, hey, you're at Lodibar right now, which is a, a desert place. You don't have to be there you have a seat at the King's table. Come on, let's go. And we've got to invite people. That's what this message is about.
1: What do you have to say to people who think it's too good to be true that they're still holding on to guilt, shame, regret, because it's too good just to hand it over Mm -hmm. to a God you can't see.
0: Yeah. Well, in fact, Mephibosheth said that he said, I'm a dead dog in your sight, David. And David said, look, chef, this isn't about you, whether you deserve it or not. This is about the blood covenant. So we don't deserve it. That's why it's called mercy. God does not give us what we deserve. We deserve death, but he also gives us grace. He gives us something we don't deserve, life. And that's all through the sacrificial death of Jesus. There is nothing we can do to earn it. And there's nothing we can do to make God love us more, or make God love us less. All we have to do is accept the invitation. I know in the natural, that doesn't make sense. If I do something bad, it only stands a reason I've got to do some sort of restitution to make it right. In the natural, that, that is true. That's the way even our court systems work. But in the spiritual, we don't have to do that because the debt's already been paid through Jesus. And so all we have to do is accept it. It sounds too good to be true, but it is true. But it is good.
1: Amen to that. I just recently started reading Ephesians 1, 3 through 14 every day based on a a sermon my pastor Mm. gave. And what an encouragement that is just to see all that God has done Mm. to purposefully, intentionally make me his, make you his. It's nothing we've done. He has made those choices. He has put those things in place. He has ordained them. Mm. And that is really eye-opening. It brings peace, it helps with identity.
0: Yeah.
1: And knowing who God is shows us who we are. Yeah. Can you speak to the mercy seat a little bit?
0: Wow. Of course, we had the mercy seat in the tabernacle <laughs> where the That's blood true. was was sprinkled. That would be where the sacrifice, the blood was sprinkled on the mercy seat to atone for the sins of the people. Of course, in the Old Testament times, they had to be done once a year and had to be done continually. But Jesus' sacrifice is done once and for all. That blood that was shed and was was for us. There's life in the blood. There's power in the I don't understand it all. I don't know why it's such a bloody gospel. But without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. And so we can come now because of the blood of Jesus directly to the throne of God. The access has been made, and we can find grace and mercy at the time of need. No longer have to go through a mediator. But we can go right to God's grace and mercy that's been poured out to us, and Jesus became that for us, so we didn't have to. That that's the gospel. Uh, So rich and free. Oh, here's the other thing, right? I remember an old hymn that said, "Mercy there was great, and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. If I want a piece of a pie, you got to cut it into sections. The more people are, the smaller the section." Or maybe I don't get any because it's divided. But the cross, Its mercy is not divided. It's multiplied. (laughs) And so we can come uh, and and find grace and mercy at the time
1: of need. Another beautiful example of God's value system. Yeah. Continual multiplication, continual life, continual redemption, continual covering of us.
0: Makes me wonder why he's so patient with us, but the Bible says, but God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When we were quite unlovable, he loved us unconditionally. When I say I love you to somebody, I expect somebody to say I love you back. If they don't, I get mad or I feel like an idiot. (laughs) But Jesus said, I love you. Stretch out his arms and died.
1: Wow. Wow. Indeed. What's the benefit of keeping your heart soft and teachable? We harden our heart to protect ourselves, but the truth is we should turn to God to sort through it all. But how do we get transparent with the Lord?
0: Well, here's what I've discovered in my own life. And I think this is applicable to everybody. We all have got to find our way to do it, but we've got to stay in God's word. In order to heed God's word, we've got to know God's word. Something that I've done personally in my own life, and I'm in almost now to year four. Every day, every morning, I wake up, I read the verse of the day. It comes to the Bible app. It's sometimes random. Sometimes it seems like it fits the day uh, that, that we're in. But I'll read that verse. I'll meditate on it. I'll oftentimes read the verse before or after, maybe even a whole chapter, because I want to get the context. I never want to take the word of God out of context. I want to understand what what it's saying, what it means. And then I'll write a devotional for that day. And I'll I'll post that on my social media accounts and others can read and comment, but I think it's more for me. I want to see and hear what God's speaking to me this day. And what I discovered is as I do that, as then I go throughout the day, I find myself viewing my day through the lens of God's word. And that doesn't mean I look at things with rose-colored glasses, but it helps me begin to understand a little better what's happening. I can go beyond what I see in the natural, begin to look in the spiritual perhaps a little bit more than I was able to before and say, okay, this is why, this is what's happening. Sometimes it it might not even be that current day. Sometimes I'll read the verse of the day and I look backwards. Oh, that's what was happening. And, And it just helps me then keep my heart softened so that I can be sensitive and perceptive to what's happening. Elisha's servant was scared. He came running to Elisha because he saw these armies coming. Elisha was, eh, there's more for us than there are against us. And he prayed that the eyes of his servants would be opened So he would see the same thing. And all of a sudden he looked beyond what he could see in the natural, saw into the spiritual and saw, wow, okay. That's what we've got to do. We've got to look beyond the natural. And it's not that our eyes are wrong, some, you know, we say sometimes we got to walk by faith, not by sight. Some people think that means we close our eyes to the things around us. Like a, a child, you know, if they close their eyes, you can't see me. Um... No, I can still see you even though your eyes go. We do that with our problems. I close my eyes. The problem's not going to find me. No, the problem's still there. We need to open our eyes and go beyond what we see into the spiritual, to the supernatural and see what God is doing. And we've got to live beyond just the temporal. We've got to look and live with eternity in mind.
1: That's important too, because it also helps you when you look into the spiritual and you look a little deeper than the circumstances or the person that's given you a hard time. And then you see what Satan's up to as far as, Mm -hmm. you know, he likes to use the immediate situation, immediate person. But the real, if you pull back the curtain, the real problem or challenge that's going on is Satan's wanting to divide or conquer Mm -hmm. or destroy. And so it does help getting that spiritual value, God's spiritual value system, his set of eyes of understanding, Mm -hmm. it does even bring peace into everyday life circumstances.
0: And that comes from God's word. Psalm 19 is one of my most favorite Psalms. In it, David talks about the heavens declare the glory of God, that God is the Elohim or the title of God. But as you read down a little further, he switches gears and talks about the law of the Lord. Lord is Yahweh. So he switches from talking about about God in general, the nature tells us a God, but God's word tells us who he is. So if I want to know who God is, yes, I can see nature. Nature tells us there's God, but to know him, I've got to spend time in his word. Now, some people don't like to hear that. Oh, I'll just worship God in nature. That's great. The wilderness experience is great, but if it lasts too long, as the children of Israel, it's not so fun anymore. We've got to spend time in God's word too.
1: And I don't know about you, but a lot of times I'll take a scripture or I'll take a chapter and I will read it for a week over and over and over again. And as I meditate on it and talk to the Lord about it, he just, it's almost as if he draws a focus in tighter or he gives clarity on deeper levels, or all of a Mm -hmm. sudden you realize you can apply it to your life today or that circumstance that happened and just defining life in an intimate level.
0: Yeah,
1: The best way I know how to describe it
0: we did an activity at our church recently, our leadership team, where we did that. We just took a scripture verse, a very particular one out of Colossians, and said, everybody just take five minutes, read it, and just ask what the Lord is telling you through this verse. And we wrote it down. And then we just went around the room and, sh- and shared what that was. Same truth, same verse, but God was speaking specifically to different individuals. And Wow. It was just phenomenal. It made us come together so much closer as a a leadership team here in our local church to see and hear how we're all listening to God and how God's using us in our individual lives and ministries individually, but then collectively as the body of Christ. Wow. It It was phenomenal.
1: Perfect example of how intimate God is with us and individuals that we are created. One of the things about Christianity is that Our diversity finds unity Mm. in Christ. And when I talk about inclusive, that would be Jesus.
0: Yeah, indeed.
1: (laughs) When you look back over the early parts of your journey, where you were hardening your heart and you were trying to protect yourself and you were doing what you knew best to do, what would you do differently?
0: That's a great question.
1: Because you can only do what you can do or what you know to do, right?
0: Right. I knew to do things differently. Sometimes, though, what we know to do and what we actually do are two different things. And maybe that becomes between our intellect and our emotions. I let my emotions lead me instead of leading my emotions. Uh, The Bible says where the man's treasure is, there his heart will be also. I often read that verse backwards. I thought we would put our treasure in the things that we love. But Jesus is telling us hey, do the right things the emotions will follow motion will bring about emotion it's kind of like a, a, a skier being pulled behind a boat sometimes you know you can swing way out but the farther you go eventually that skier is going to come back in line. That's sometimes our emotions. We swing wildly from side to side, but that's why we've got to have that true north, have the Lord leading us and guiding us through the direction we need to go until our our emotions swing back in and come back in where they're supposed to be. If I tried to lead the boat with a skier, that wouldn't work. (laughs) That just doesn't work. Leading with our emotions really does not work. They've got to come in alignment with the way we're going.
1: That might be the major deception of this generation is their emotions lead mm-hmm. their life. When well, the church fact, tells
0: them, follow your heart. We, we say that, follow your heart. But wait a minute. I thought our heart was deceptively wicked and deceitful. Why would I want to follow something like that?
1: That's a good point. Mm-hmm. Discipline really has great value. God's discipline, because one of the things that I, I had to learn how to be a parent because of my childhood and the examples that were given to me, I did not want to repeat, but God really showed me a lot about who I was to him through being a parent and really rewrote what I believed all my, well, I don't know about all my false perceptions, but a lot of those lies, God rewrote with, with real examples in my life. And I'll be forever grateful for that intimacy growing in that level with him. One of the things that God showed me is that my children will not respond to my rules in my home. They're going to respond to the relationship that they Mm. have with me. And that was huge for me because I didn't, I would not have, put that together myself. But when God began to reveal that to me, Mm. Mm. I could understand then why I responded to my mother like I did. Mm. So discipline has a huge value. I put boundaries in place for my children for their safety and moral code. I then understood why God had a certain standard for us to have relationship with him. We step into his standard when we choose to have relationship with him.
0: We're not under the Old Testament ceremonial law. But the New Testament does still tell us we are under the law of Christ. And so I love what you said there about with your, your children, because it comes from that relationship that we want to serve. We, you know, one of the worst things as a child that I ever heard my parents say, and they didn't mean it overarching, but if I did something that was wrong, they said they were disappointed in me and how I handled that situation. Didn't mean they didn't love me, but I disappointed them. Oh, that really hurt. Right. So my relationship with them made me also want to obey them because I did not want them to be disappointed in me. Mm-hmm. My relationship with the Lord is at first, it was um, maybe a fear thing, right? I did not want to go to hell. There was, was fear there, but it became a love walk and I want to obey because I love the Lord. I know he loves me and I don't want to disappoint him. I don't, I, I want him to look and say, Hey, there's my son. And my parents did that too with me, right? Even though I would let them down at times, Man, they're they're my biggest cheerleaders, and and I believe that's the Lord. We may hurt Him, we may let Him down, but He says, "Hey, they're my son. I love you. You're my daughter. I love you. I want you to succeed." Okay, we're going to work on this. We're going to fix it. But discipline in that word is disciple, and so we need to be discipled. We need to be disciplined. God disciplines those that He loves. So when we are disciplined, that's a sign that He loves us, and that is comforting. I don't like it in the moment, but right. it's comforting.
1: I remember telling the Lord I was upset with one of the kids for something. And, you know, we we worked through it, whatever the deal was. You know, they they had three strikes. Can't remember the details, but I came back to the Lord and I said, Lord, I want to be like him. He just got in trouble about an hour ago, but he's going to come back in here and he expects to eat. He didn't even ask to eat. He expects to eat. He expects to have mm-hmm. these things and the access to these things. That's what I want to do. I do not want to hide from you longer than I need to, because Mm. if you, when you discipline me and I have, you know, accepted the discipline, I want to come back into relationship with you like my kids do with me. Exactly. I I love that. I love that. Perfect example. Love that too. Is there anything that our listeners need to know today? That I didn't ask you about, or just the one thing you want them to walk away with?
0: Probably the most important thing is, and I think we have talked about it, but I think it's worth repeating God loves you, He's concerned about you. While we do maybe at times anger God, some people say, Well, God's not angry with me. I think God does get angry, but anger does not mean that He no longer loves, His anger is but for a moment. His love endures forever. He loves you and he wants what's best for you. And we need to trust him. What's best for us though, isn't always the best naturally or physically. So again, we've got to get out of this temporal mindset here in the United States. I think we struggle with this because we're so blessed that sometimes it becomes a curse. We've got to get beyond that. And I love the blessings of God. I want more of the, I do want that. Don't get me wrong. I want that. But more than that, I want the eternal. So we've got to look beyond what we can see and know that God is, it's cliche maybe, but Romans eight twenty eight. God works all things together for good for those who love the Lord, those who are called according to his purpose, not my purpose, his. And so when I recognize that, when to get on board with that, that's where the peace comes in and the joy and the hope, the hope that doesn't disappoint. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's that blessed hope. It's an assurance. It's a sure thing. It's not wishful thinking, a sure thing. And we can have that in Christ A no so salvation.
1: Kevin, you've been fantastic today. Thank you so much for shining some light on this hardened heart condition, what it really means, how do we get there and what does it look like to to recover from that? Thank you so much for your time.
0: Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure talking with you.